Live from Headspace Echuca in Victoria, Australia, you're listening to St. Joseph's College Echuca Gambling Harm Podcast on Live FM. My name is Mackay Cronin and my co-hosts today are Solly Fleming, Emily Kerr, Isabel Maluso, Katie Keane, Ruby Munzel and Lawson Kath. Our very special guest today is Fred Rubenstein, uh, who has lived through experience of gambling and harm. Uh, Fred, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'll kick us off with the first question. Um, you said when you started gambling that it was just like $5 punts. Did mm. it get to a stage where you were just gambling in nearly everything? That's exactly what happened. It started with just A-League and AFL because they were my primary interests of sport. And as I lost control when I finished school and had access to more money, a big inheritance, then it and I had all this time on my hands because I didn't have the structure of school and I was really burnt out with the education system. It became the casino, it became online casino, it became horses and dogs, became overseas sports. It just became everything and everything, bigger amounts, gambling all the time. And that was just a natural progression and evolution of my obsession with competition and winning and being really disengaged with the, yeah, the education and the academic system. Um, Fred, what made you put that first $5 multi on? And yeah, what just drew you to gambling in the first place? That's a good question. I think the fact that my old man was a punter definitely made it, just made me aware of, of gambling. And the fact that he was a well-respected businessman and mathematician, you know, I, I, that definitely made it more enticing on a kind of subconscious level. I think I've always been and still am a thrill seeker. So I think the thrill of, you know, sneaking around, the thrill of having something exciting to look forward to on the weekend, whereas, you know, I was bored during school. And yeah, definitely the thrill of the win and the loss, you know, really trying to chase that that win. And that risk was really enticing to me from a young age. I've always been a high a big risk taker. So yeah, there was just a lot, a lot of characteristics of my personality that fit gambling like a glove. And that kind of led me to place my first bet. Mm. Uh, where did, were you, sorry, were you ever in control of your gambling? That's another really good question. Um, I suppose when before I turned 18, when I had access to really low amounts and I was preoccupied with school all day, every day, I suppose at that point, I wasn't out of control because, you know, I was at school. And I think the reason for that was, yeah, I had the structure of school and I didn't have access to the amount of money that I had when I finished school, which is around, you know, $220,000 inheritance and also the time of not having school. So I think at that point, you know, I probably did. And then after school in 2015, I just progressively lost control over the whole year and throughout that whole year lost the entire inheritance. Um, Fred, did mm. gambling have an impact for your family? Yeah, massive, massive. Um, my siblings were both older and then moved out during 2015 or towards the end because it took a lot of, a big toll on the family and the, the household dynamic. Um, my relationship with my mum deteriorated a lot, especially because 
you know, I stole from her and I put a lot of stress and anxiety on her. And yeah, like my family just stopped trusting and respecting me basically because when your actions don't match your words, over time people just lose trust and respect for you. And I was just really unwell, like mentally unwell. I put on a lot of weight. Um, you know, I was very depressed. So it just took a massive toll on the family and it took years to rebuild that those relationships and rebuild that trust and respect. And that was just through time and hard work and, and actions in the recovery journey. But yeah, it really had a massive effect on me and my family. It, that's the thing with, with harm of any kind of addiction and, or degenerative behavior or habit is it affects not just the person, it affects those around, you know, those around you. Um, those closest to you feel it the worst. So yeah, it had a massive, massive toll on the family for a time. And I, I'm lucky and grateful that I was been able to rebuild those relationships. When did you know to stop? Oh, I probably knew to stop when I ran out of the inheritance because I was like, well, it's going to be really hard now. But I didn't stop then. I started stealing then from my mom and borrowing from friends. When I felt that it was time to stop and decided it was time to stop was when my mom threatened to call the police because I'd stolen from her for the third time, you know, the first couple of times. She gave me a slap on the wrist and I knew I could get away with it because she was soft and free-spirited and, you know, I was very manipulative. But the third time I could see she was serious, you know, she was really serious. And I knew that if I kept going, something bad was going to happen. So effectively, when I was disabled from being able to gamble, when I could no longer gamble without having to face serious consequences for what I was doing, then that's when I felt I had to stop. And that's actually when I tried to stop and, and eventually did stop. Um, so overall, do you know how much money you end up spending? Uh, you put it very nicely with the use of the word spending there. Um, how many? How much money I, I lost yes. or, or or wasted um, was probably around two hundred thirty thousand dollars, two hundred forty grand, maybe two hundred fifty, anywhere in in that ballpark. And I that was one of the hardest things initially walking away, guys, was accepting that I had lost that and it wasn't coming back. And you know, I can say it now without flinching. Like it doesn't. That money is gone. And what I got from that money was a lesson, a very expensive lesson about, about gambling, a little bit about life and a lot about myself, you know, and that's something I learned through the recovery journey of my addiction was I, through therapy that I really didn't want to do, but I had to do, you know, it was one of the conditions that I made with my mom of repaying her. I really over time and you know years i really got the mirror to understand why i gambled who i was you know what was leading me to gamble which was many things you know my dad was a punter and losing i lost him at a young age you know of 13 and i think subconsciously it was a connection to him i was bored i was thrill seeking there was just so many factors but understanding my highs and lows and how not to run away with them and understanding who i am and understanding that what I wanted to achieve in gambling as being a winner or being seen as a hero, I could achieve in many better ways 
and formed in life, which is what I'm trying to do now, you know, working with kids, working in soccer as a soccer coach. That love and the connection that I get from working with the kids and teaching them and guiding them is so much better and more real and substantial than anything you could ever experience in gambling because it was like impulsive, hollow, fleeting pleasure that would go away. And then on the flip side was just agony and, and despair, like the worst, the worst feelings in the world about yourself. And it was just awful. And you just don't get that in stable, everyday working life. You might get bored sometimes or you might get annoyed, but you don't have that fear and anxiety of being exposed or being caught because you know that down what you're doing is wrong and, and it's harmful to you and, and people around you. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to St. Joseph's College of Chuka Gambling Harm podcast live on FM. Uh, live from Headspace of Chuka in Victoria, Australia. Uh, my name is Mackay Conan and I'm with my co-hosts and our special guest, Fred Rubenstein. Um, I'll continue with another question, Fred. Mm. Um, if you could look back when you first started gambling, what advice would you give to yourself and also to other people our age that would be at that age to be able to gamble? I would say, I would say go and travel with that money. Go and live your life. You know, go and use it to yeah, experience life and learn about yourself. But I, I think it wouldn't have made a difference. I really do. I think for me, I was so stubborn and, and arrogant that I think I was had to go through it. Not everyone has to. I think it is it is avoidable and it definitely would have helped if I had earlier intervention and, and information, but that was just my personality. So I think, yeah, I would have said in retrospect, it would have been nice to have used that money to, you know, live my life, you know, go and travel, experience things, do things that I would never be able to do without it. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And it's just a really expensive lesson. What advice would I give others? I, it's kind of, it's a little bit bleak, but my thinking now is more or less, well, you're going to die one day. And is this really what you want to be remembered for? Is this the legacy that you want to leave and the life that you want to lead? Because the longer you go, the harder and the more impactful the consequences. Guys, it's really hard. I'm lucky. I got out early. I got out young. I know people that have been in it for 10 years. And the thing that they say that they lost more than anything is time. The time is what kills people more than the money. I know people that have been to jail for embezzling and people that will have debts I'll never be able to pay off. And that's, that's a brutal thing. You know, that'll affect them for the rest of their life. So I think just reminding people that, you know, you've only got one hit at the bat and what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be remembered for? I think that's, I don't know, to me that's pretty powerful. So that's something I might remind others of. But yeah, at the end of the day, each, each to their own, uh, that wouldn't have stopped me and it probably won't stop others. But I just want to inform and help in any way that I can. Um, have you been able to pay back the debts, the debts that you've acquired, like from your, mom and real, your friends? You guys are sharp. That's a really good question. Uh, I I paid my mum partially because you know I was working on a really low wage, 
I paid her partially. Like we, we made an agreement, which was like half or a quarter of what I owed. Cause it was like 20, 25 grand. My friends, I paid off. Yes. Um, and then yeah, other debts. Yes. I've been over time. Yeah. I've been able to pay off all my debts, which is pleasing, but you know, it, it's better to avoid that if possible to avoid that kind of burden because when you're working for yourself, it's one thing, but when you're working and you have the obligation to other people, yeah, it's, it's stressful and it's an unpleasant feeling. So I'm, I'm pleased that I've been able to pay off my gambling debts and my advice is to try and avoid debt if possible, but it's not always possible. Um, and so earlier you said that it like gambling kind of wrecked your relationship with your mother. Have you mm. re-amended that and have a good relationship with her now? Absolutely. Yeah, we have an amazing relationship. Um, we're extremely close. It took it took a while and it took for her to see that I was really invested in my recovery journey and I had a really stable lifestyle. Her to really trust and respect me again after what I'd done. But yeah, we're able to repair it really well. Like we're so similar and we had a really good relationship before, albeit, you know, stressed, strained by some health issues, you know, some of my mental health issues and um obviously the gambling and stealing has made it much worse. But now, yeah, it's better than ever. And that's only been turned around through honesty and actions matching words you know just rebuilding that trust and respect um because after a while people just start doubting you because you know you're lying and you you, you become exposed and it yeah it just takes a lot of time and a lot of repetition of behavior to rebuild that those relationships um what do you do now and would you say your life is completely back on track what I do now is um, this year I'm a full-time soccer coach. I've done, over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of work in like uh, childcare, like before and after school care, um, teacher's aid, therapy, assisting. And I do see myself going back into kind of that special education field, which is a real passion of mine, but I also love sport and working with kids. So that's also why um, I'm soccer coaching. Is my life completely back on track? Yeah, it is because every day what I'm doing is um, all my actions or most are paying off, are doing something that's helping my future self. You know, that's doing something that's benefiting myself, making me feel better about myself. You know, my self-respect is so much better than it was. And it's I'm so much more stable. You know, I can put my head on my pillow without guilty, yucky feelings in my guts knowing that, I'm doing something wrong or illegal or immoral and just feeling shit about myself. You know, now I, I can go to sleep and I feel good about a good day's work and that I've contributed to community and to people, even if it's in a small way. So yeah, I would say that my life's on track. And I, it's not perfect by any means. And it's still really hard, guys. Like I still have ups and downs. I have periods yeah, that aren't great, and periods that are mundane. And I have periods that are good, but it's much more stable. It's much less frightening and risky. And yeah, it's just a much better space to be in than what I was when I was gambling, which was constant 
anxiety, shame, lows that you can't really describe, just a roller coaster that was just really, really painful. Um, what advice would you give someone going through the same thing as you were? I would say, are you enjoying, like, is it working for you, what, what you're doing? Are you being honest with yourself? You know, like what's actually happening? What are you actually doing? And I would say, yeah, like I said before, I would say, you know, you're, you're only going to live once. So is this really what you want to live for? Is this the legacy you want to leave? Is this what you want to be remembered for? So I think it's really hard. You know, I, I know that when I was in the throes of it, nothing that anyone could have said would have stopped me. It was only that feeling that if I kept going, that something really bad was going to happen with the threat of police charges for stealing. But yeah, I would just say the longer you go, the harder it gets to turn back and that you can turn it around. You really can. And it is much better being where I am now than where I was. It's so much better, but it takes a lot of work. And you just have to start by starting. And I couldn't start until I was honest with myself and then honest with the people around me about how much I'd lost and what I'd done. Before we do actually end, we'll have a few questions from the floor. Um, my name's Estate and I just got a question for you. Sure. Um, you said this before when you were in your, doing your spiel, but when you were diagnosed with bipolar, right? His mm -hmm. dad was. Oh, his dad. How was that, like, how was your thought process through that, like when your parents were through that, like went through it? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really scary. Um, and, and, I, and I am diagnosed with bipolar disorder as well. Um, it was really scary. It was high, highly anxiety, but it was also the main feeling I had was relief because I always knew that I was different. I thought I was special, but I always knew deep down that I was different. And that's one of the big reasons I didn't and still find it hard to connect with the education system, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm unconventional and I'm soccer coaching as opposed to being a PE teacher or just a regular teacher is that I'm just different. I'm wired differently. And it was really scary because I knew it was lifelong, but it was also relieving because it explained a lot about myself that I had a sense of, but didn't fully understand. Um, so how old were you when you um, got diagnosed with I was, twenty. no, you're right. I was 21. It was two years after I stopped. No, that's not right. It was, I was, I was turning 21 and it was six months after I stopped gambling. It was two years into therapy. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that because bipolar can overlap with a lot of disorders. And I'm lucky that it's considered type two, which is bipolar mild. Um, yeah. So it was two years into therapy, six months into stopping gambling. And it was really hard because that, you know, gambling was one beast and bipolar was the beast in itself. And yeah, it takes a lot of work even still, guys, to manage it. It's a lifelong. But knowing about it means that I can do something about it. And having self-awareness and the skills to self-manage means that I can actually function every day and, you know, be a, a productive member of society without needing constant support or intervention although i do need support like everyone does uh well fred yet again it was a pleasure to talk to you uh thanks for coming on
Uh, live from Headspace Echuca in Victoria, Australia, you've been listening to St. Joseph's College Echuca Gambling Harm Podcast on Live FM. My name is Makai Cronin and my co-hosts today were Solly, Emily, Isabel, Katie, Ruby and Lawson. Thank you for joining us. We've, we hope you have found the information today useful. And until next time, have a great day. Yes, 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 yes,